Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of contending for the faith. Many people are afraid to judge people, but the scriptures admonish us whenever we feel that someone has gone beyond the Word of God, added to the Word of God, taken away from the Word of God, then we are commanded to judge and examine. We're fruit inspectors. By their fruits, you shall know them, Jesus said in Matthew. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When it comes to apostasy, the chilling fact of the Bible is that false teaching always arises from within the church. And so is the nature of the book of Jude, who is writing to a church under attack. They were being infiltrated by false teachers who had slipped in among them. Jude unmasks these false teachers and explains what they're like and the effect that they have. And to that end, Pastor Xavier has been taking us verse by verse through the letter, making a list of the characteristics to beware of, while reminding us that God doesn't stand idly by, and neither should we when it comes to contending for the simple truths of the gospel of Christ. Let's listen. God will judge apostates and apostasy. Now Jude turns to describe these apostates from verse 8 to verse 16. He says, Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authorities, and speak evil of dignitaries. The likewise is a connection to verses 5, 6, and 7. These individuals were dreamers who defiled the flesh, rejected authority, and spoke evil a dignitaries. Such are these men. Woe to them. Mark that well. Whenever you read the word woe, it isn't warning. Whenever you read the word woe and hear it, it doesn't mean that the apostle saw a good-looking girl. It means judgment is certain. Woe means you've gone too far. Judgment is going to come. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, now another triad. First is Cain. The sixth characteristic is a characteristic of Cain. What does that mean? Well, you remember Cain, he offered the fruit of the ground and he killed his brother. It's a type of religious man who rejects God's revealed sacrifice and rules by his own will his own life. He says, I will do as I will, when I will, when I please. And I will offer to God what I want to offer to him. He rejects God's way. God said, blood. Cain said, have some vegetables. God says, I can't accept it. Hebrews 11.4 says, for Abel offered a much better sacrifice. God says, why is your countenance fallen, Cain? If you do good, will you not be accepted? But sin lies at the door. And it wants to master you. The picture there is of a ravenous beast ready to leap upon its prey. What was God doing to Cain? God was offering repentance to Cain. Did he take it? No. Not at all. Seventh characteristic 
They have gone or run greedily in the air of Balaam. Second Peter chapter 2 verse 15 and 16. He says, For they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restraining the madness of the prophet. Peter speaks of him. Jude speaks of him. The book of Revelation chapter 2 verse 14 speaks of him. The account is found in Numbers 22 through 24 and in chapter 31. King Balak called him to curse the children of Israel, offered him all kinds of money. God told Balaam, don't go. They're my people, you can't curse them. He sent back another group to offer more money. Balaam checked with God, but he didn't wait till the morning. He was gone already. God met him in the road. The angel had a sword drawn, going to wipe him out. If it wasn't for that little donkey, he would have been dead. You know the story. And that's why Peter says the madness of the prophet was appeased by the speaking donkey. <laughs> How do we know he was mad? He talked back to the donkey. He's the type of person who errs in desiring, listen, popularity and gain. When King Balak took Balaam to the three sites and every time he was going to curse the children of Israel, blessings came out. Balak finally got fed up with him. He says, I intended to promote you, but God has kept you from this. His love was for popularity and for money. Greed expresses itself in both of those areas. There are men in ministry who just want to be famous, and they will do anything to make sure their church grows. It doesn't make any difference if God is in it. They don't care about how they're going to get results. They want results. Popularity, money. The eighth characteristic, he says, and perish in the rebellion of Korah. Characteristic of Korah, number 16. He's a type of individual who challenges God's leadership and authority and presumes upon areas which he has never been called. Korah and a group of men, they came before Moses and Aaron. They said, listen, you guys take too much upon you. Are you the only holy ones of Israel? They wanted to presume upon the priestly office. Korah and his buddies were saying, listen, Moses, you and Aaron, you're not the only ones that God can speak to. Uh, you know, we can go speak to God. The scripture says that Moses was the meekest man above anyone on the earth. Moses said, well, let's ask God. Every one of you get a rod and bring it and we'll place it before the Lord and we'll see which one the Lord picks. In the morning, Aaron's rod budded. But it even gave almonds, which speak of the resurrection. Moses says, well, I guess God chose, boys. But just to make sure, you guys back up a little bit. Get out away from our camp. And you guys stand out there. And if it's really God who did that, let's have him do something weird, like open up the earth and swallow you guys up. Guess what happened? They're gone. There are always individuals who presume to move into areas that God has never called them. You remember King Uzziah? He tried to burn incense. God plagued him with leprosy all the days of his life. For God's sakes, you want to be happy? Be just what God has called you to be. Exercise the gifts that he has given you and don't go beyond them. If God has called you to teach, 
then wait on your ministry to teach and ask God for wisdom. If God has given you the gift of mercy, exercise it joyfully. If God has given you the gift of giving, do it as unto the Lord. Whatever God has gifted you and called you to do, do it and don't presume upon it saying, well, you know, I don't think, I mean, he's not the only one. I can be pastor. Well, go for it. People always think they know best when they've never been called. If you feel God is calling you, hey, Lord bless you. Go start another church. But don't start it where somebody's already preached. Paul says, I didn't preach where Christ had been preached. I went out where the heathen were. I'm always amazed at people that want to start churches from within churches. <laughs> I'm always amazed how the heretics don't ever start seminaries. They take over good ones. That's usually the function of a parasite. They feed off something that's living. And then it becomes dead. So you have these three individuals. Classic cases to make application for these apostates. In verse 12, he says, these are spots. Now he's going to give us some metaphors, some illustrations, some pictures to identify these men, their characters, their characteristics, their nature. They, these are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear. Serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Let's take verse 12. The ninth characteristic is that of danger and destruction in a concealed way. The worst spots means hidden rocks. Those that are below the water and ships cannot see and the waves thrust them through them and make shipwreck of them. It is not the same word that 2 Peter 2.13 says in the parallel passage. The word there is stains. They look similar, but they're not. So right here, Jude says they are hidden rocks. Very dangerous. You can't see them. Sort of like iceberg, you know. But these, you can't even see the tip. They're below the surface. They're concealed. Notice that he says there they while they feast with you without fear. He's speaking about the love feast, the agape feast, serving only themselves. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 through 22, how some of them had began to practice these things and God had wiped some out. Those love feasts were very special occasions, but it didn't take long for them to corrupt them. They say without fear, serving themselves. Then he says they are clouds without water. Now a cloud usually is to promise rain. So they're a characteristic of clouds without water. Worthless. What good is a cloud that doesn't give water? It's good for nothing. These men offer so much, but they come through with so little. 2 Peter 2.17 says they can't quench your thirst. They offer a lot, but they can't deliver. Carried by the wind, the prince of the air carries them. They blow here and there, wherever the action is. They're not committed to any one place, only the place where it'll bless them. Autumn trees without fruit. Now, the natural function of a tree is to give fruit. The characteristic is that of barrenness. No fruit. They have nice-looking leaves, healthy-looking branches, but no fruit. The reference to autumn trees here is those trees 
who were expected to have fruit at the end. None at all. Remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? He cursed it because the tree should have had fruit. It had deviated from its natural function. What good was it for? Nothing. And so God has called us to be fruit inspectors. Many people are afraid to judge people. But the reference in Matthew is, judge not, for you shall be judged in the very same measure. He's speaking about censorious criticism, judgment. In other words, don't be a person who is finding fault with everything and everything and anything, anytime. But the scriptures admonish us to be fruit inspectors. Whenever we feel that someone has gone beyond the word of God, added to the word of God, taken away from the word of God, then we are commanded to judge and examine. We're fruit inspectors. By their fruits, you shall know them, Jesus said in Matthew. And so we need to have a keen eye. Twice dead. They die physically. They die spiritually, eternally. Revelations 20, 14. Blessed are those who take part in the first resurrection. For on him has no power the second death. Second death is spiritual death, eternal death. We die physically once, but never eternally, spiritually. These apostates, the non-believer, dies twice, physically and spiritually. Second death. And he says, pulled up by the roots. Now, the only time I've ever pulled out plants from the ground is when they're dead. Because they serve no function. They only take up space. And so is with these individuals. They take up space. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up at their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the darkness, the blackness of darkness forever. And so, the twelfth characteristic here is that of raging waves in verse 13. Unrestrained, being under their own control. You ever see a wave? It just does what it wills. No one can control a wave. Surfers get out there and they try to make use of its power, but the surfer cannot shape the wave nor stop the wave. It takes and uses the wave. But you ever see some surfers out there on a kind of windy day, a stormy day? Boy, that wave will take them and just bust them in two. And it just smashes right on them, and the next one comes in. They don't stop. They don't apologize. They just do their thing. Destructive. Foaming up at their own shame. This is similar to... A scripture in Isaiah 57, 20. And I'm sure that Jude was making reference to it. Where he says, but the wicked are like the troubled sea. When it cannot rest. Whose waters cast up mire and dust or dirt. In other words, have you ever seen a, a, a wave just hit the shore and sand comes up. And if there's seaweed in there, it just, just throws everything up there. This is what they do. No discretion. Foaming up at their own shame. But then he says, wandering stars. This is the 13th characteristic. 
flashy and temporal. A shooting star catches your eye, but it soon is out of vision. You see, it refuses to be stable. It catches your eye, but it's soon gone. It's not fixed in line with the order of the rest of the stars, but it has deviated. And to these is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Men who come on the scene so fast, making a big splash, promising so much, and after three, five, ten years, you don't hear them again. And if you do, it's because they have been caught in some immoral act, or they have ripped the people of God off, or they have been exposed. You remember back when they caught that guy with the little ear thing in his ear? And how his wife would transmit to him as she would move among the crowds to see what their infirmities were. And, and then she would communicate to him through a little earphone their names, their infirmities. And he would play act as if God was giving him a word of knowledge and wisdom. And some guy went in there and exposed him with all kinds of instruments. What a shame. And who gets the brunt of it? Jesus and the people of God. There are many a people out here making money off of you and the body of Christ. But God will have his day with them. I guarantee you. The blackness of darkness reserve forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who were ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh thing which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Do you think he likes the word ungodly? It's a key word. It speaks of their very character, their nature. Now he's speaking about Enoch. Here we have again a reference to Genesis chapter 5, verse 18 through 24. It says, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. He was now for God took him. He walked with God. And then he was now because God took him. Here we have another passage from the apocryphal books, so it seems. And yet, to me, it's no problem that the Holy Spirit inspired this through Jude. That it is found somewhere else makes no difference to me. Because if you remember in Acts 20.35, Paul told us it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he said the Lord said that. And yet we can't find that in any of the Gospels. So the Holy Spirit inspired Paul about something the Lord said. Paul speaks in... 1st Timothy, I believe. I believe 1st Timothy, where he gives the names of Janus and Jambres, the two magicians that withstood Moses. We don't find their names in the Old Testament. Is it any big deal for the Holy Spirit to inspire those names? No. Then why do we make a big to-do about these apocryphal writings? Did we not establish in verse 3 and 4 that Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, inspired you to write it? And yet men will argue and make all kinds of Ridiculous statements. Now, Jude says that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. 
What did he prophesy about? The first coming or the second coming? The second coming. What an interesting prophecy. Now we don't get this in the Old Testament. We only get it here. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, seven, God's perfect number, prophesied about the second coming of Christ as he returned to the earth to judge the earth. He had a son named Methuselah. His name means when he dies, it shall come. What is it? The flood. He is the longest living person recorded in the Bible. 969 years. If you do a little arithmetic there in Genesis 5, you'll find out that when Methuselah died, the flood came. Noah was a preacher of judgment and Methuselah was a picture of judgment. As long as he was alive, you were okay. But if he was dead, you were dead unless you were in the boat. Enoch is a beautiful type of the church. It says that he walked with God and was not because God took him. The Bible tells us that God is going to return for his bride. And Paul the Apostle tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, that he will take us out of this world. He will remove us. 2 Thessalonians speaks about he who now lets and then until he is removed, then the Antichrist will be revealed. So he's a beautiful type of the church who is removed before judgment comes. And I believe we're at the door for that. I believe that the 70 week of Daniel is about to begin. All that needs to take place is the removal of the church of Jesus Christ. And then the Antichrist will appear. He will return with thousands of his saints. It means in an, an innumerable multitude. You can cross-reference this with Deuteronomy 33.2, Zechariah 14.5, Matthew 25.31, 2 Thessalonians 1.7. All the coming judgment, God will judge the world. To do what? To convict all. The word convict means to rebuke someone so as to bring him to confess or to feel convicted of their sin. There won't be one person who will say, oh, I didn't do that, Lord. When they stand before Christ, they will confess and they will be convicted of their sin. There won't be no arrogance. There won't be no pride. Just broken men. And the references to the ungodly. These are murmurs, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. Their mouths speak great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Murmurs. They're exactly what the word sounds. That's what it means. It's anapatone. Something's got a weird name to it. But it's, it describes words that, that sound what they are. When you say somebody murmurs, it's a person who is not really complaining vocally or publicly, but they just walk around and say, I can't believe that guy. You know, they're always just murmuring. And you say, what'd you say? How come that guy's on? He's just making sounds. Always bitter, always complaining. Complainers. And it means someone who's always finding fault. No matter what happens, finding fault. Swelling words. Extravagance, puffed up to see what they can gain by flattering people. Here you have all these. This is the 16th characteristic right here in this verse. Their characteristic is of what? Being dissatisfied all the time. A lot of characteristics he's given to us here. Study them. There is so much in this epistle. And ask the Lord to give you wisdom and understanding. 
Pastor Xavier Rees, completing a list of 16 characteristics found in the Epistle of Jude that warn us of apostates' attempted false doctrine of the simple truths of the gospel of Christ. You can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And this verse-by-verse message titled Jude Part 3 is available on CD upon request for just $4. Having your own copy allows you to review the study again at your own pace. Plus, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is Jude Part 3, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com